Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN. And before we get into the next episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash sports. All right, thanks once again to our presenting sponsor up at Northwestern, their uh, master's program in sports administration. It's great for anyone who's looking to get into the sports industry, break in and start a career, um, work at a place like BTN, definitely a great opportunity. So uh, check that out. And again, shout out to them for sponsoring the show. All right, we'll get into it now. Uh, this week's episode, we have one guest and one segment following that. The guest this week is former college football star, former NFL player, Roosevelt Colvin. Uh, Roosevelt played for Purdue in the late 90s, played for the Chicago Bears in the early 2000s, and the New England Patriots during that decade as well. Uh, you probably remember him if you followed Big Ten football in there in that time, or if you're like me, a Bears fan, and remember some of those early 2000s years and the days before Lovey Smith um, and the early, early Brian Urlacher days, and uh, some interesting interesting times to be a Bears fan. Uh, I can barely re- remember it, because um, I, was, I was still a young kid then, but one of Roosevelt's teams was the 2002 Bears that had to play their uh, entire season home games in Champaign, Illinois, two hours south of Chicago at the University of Illinois, because Soldier Field in Chicago was being renovated. So that was a cool opportunity for me to ask him about a uh, time in my childhood that... Uh, was memorable just because we got to see the Bears up close and personal growing up in Champaign. So that was fun. Um, we also obviously talked a lot about his NFL days besides that 2 season and his Purdue days as well. Roosevelt had some great stories about um, some of the more memorable games in Purdue history, some things that uh, definitely wouldn't fly these days, like when he almost had to physically restrain Indiana fans from jumping on Purdue's goalposts. Uh, just some fun stuff, fun discussion. And uh, it was good to catch up and hear what he's been up to since retiring from the NFL. He's been very active in his Indianapolis community. And um, he'll get all into that in just a moment once we get to the interview. Following that interview, um, we have a Call for the Culture segment with producer Colleen Degnan. Uh, if you don't know, Call fills us in on everything pop culture related, uh, especially when it intersects and blends with the sports world. Uh, we talk entertainment, we talk social media, uh, we talk basically what two twenty-somethings would talk about uh, at the uh, at the bar or at work like we do uh, on a daily basis. So good discussion coming up after Roosevelt's interview and um, as always, it's good stuff all around. So I hope you uh, stay tuned for the entire thing. We'll get into Roosevelt Colvin's interview first. Like I said, he's a former Purdue star, former NFL player, and a great time talking to him. We chatted for about 30 minutes, so we'll get right into it. It's a Take 10 Podcast interview with Roosevelt Colvin, and it starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Purdue star. You probably remember him well from his NFL days with the Chicago Bears and the New England Patriots. It's Roosevelt Colvin. Mr. Colvin, how are you? Doing good. Doing, doing really well. Appreciate you taking the time to join me. Um, and just right off the bat, I, I need to mention you're the second member 
of the den of defensive ends that I've had on this show. I had uh, Cliff Averill on a few months back. So for those for those who might not be familiar with that term who, who's listening right now, can you describe what the den of defensive ends was at Purdue? Uh, the den of DNs is um, sort of a, um, a fraternity of uh, guys that play the uh, defensive end position for Purdue University. Started with guys like Otis Armstrong and, um, and Keena Turner back in the day. And um, myself, Chike O'Keefer, and Chuki Wakori kind of um, you know, made a splash there our last couple years at Purdue. And then followed behind us were guys like uh, Ray Edwards, uh, Phillip, uh, uh, Sean Phillips, um, uh, Cliff Averill. Uh, most notably, the last guy that, that has made a, a big splash is out in Washington, and um, and that's um, man, I can't remember um, what is the kid's name. Um, Ryan Kerrigan. So, um, for for the dinner defensive ends, it's a, a just a group of guys that uh, just pride ourselves in making plays, specifically getting to the quarterback, and uh, we just were fortunate to have some real good coaches over those couple of years, and it just uh, catapulted in uh, guys playing that position coming out of Purdue University. Yeah, and you were part of that group back in the late 90s, and uh, like I said, had a, a good career in the NFL. But I'm curious what you're up to nowadays, because I was checking out your Wikipedia page, which we know not always 100% reliable, uh, but it looks like you've had quite a few ventures in retirement, including opening a uh, sweets and treats shop. So let me know how you've been keeping busy and what you've been up to. Yeah, so um, during my playing days, you know, you know, I played for the Bears for four years. When I signed with New England, and I unfortunately um, had a major injury and broke my hip. And in that injury, it was the same injury that Bo Jackson had, so I didn't really know what my um, my future was going to hold. So at that moment, you know, I was bedridden for like four or five months. My wife and I just decided to figure out what were our, what were our next steps in life. And so at that time, we tried to research some some uh, franchises and um, we uh, ended up getting to the point where we settled on investing in uh, the UP- a UPS store, um, a couple of those here in Indianapolis, and we still are um, investors and, and, and uh, manager owners of uh, f- uh, going on four stores here in the Indianapolis area. Um, and then my wife um, has always, she's a foodie, um, her mom, um, my mother-in-law, has baked cakes and catered weddings for years in Indianapolis, um, did our wedding. And when I went to New England, um, I got released um, like in, I think it was 2007 after that that season that we tried not to talk about where we went 15 and one um, or, or 18 and one. And, um, and when I went to Houston, I signed with the Texans. I ended up getting released. And while I was out there, my wife just thought that she wanted to open up our own uh, bakery. And so over the course of about six months, she sat down, got a game plan together, um, and thought about what she wanted to do, what she wanted to look like, and now we're investors in what we call Sweetie's Gourmet Treats, and uh, what we believe is the the best cupcake um, dessert shop here in the Indianapolis Fishers area. They do everything from wedding cakes to, you know, custom cakes to anything you can name it, um, but um, they're, they're uh, definitely um, one of the best here in the area, and uh, she does that, and, and then Obviously, my love for sports and the passion of you know being with uh, in the in the sports arena. I love basketball. Played professional football, but I really love basketball. So um, I run a basketball club. I'm an inner city kid from Indianapolis. Um, wasn't really expecting to or had a desire to go professional. Just wanted to be successful in life, and so 
Um, I developed a, a club or an entity called RC Sports. It started off with NFL flag football that branched out into basketball, and now you know we run basketball a basketball club called the Indy Nets Basketball Club for kids kindergarten all the way through high schools, and then we do flag football a couple times a year as well. Yeah, that's awesome. It's quite a uh, diverse portfolio. And just getting back to the the cupcakes and, and the sweets. Nowadays, you see the commercials with uh, Brian Arakbo and Michael Griffin doing their cupcake shop and their setup. But you did it first. You kind of set the uh, the template for that. Yeah, yeah. I, we, my, I, uh, I actually had a parent from the school that my son goes to um, send me a message about you know a commercial he saw. I didn't know I didn't know what he was talking about. Then my wife saw it, um, and they they have an entity. I don't know where it is, but um, but yeah, we. We have presented the model, and um, I don't know. I'm not saying that they're copying it, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we we really uh, we really enjoy being in the business. Uh, my wife enjoys it. Her mother enjoys it, and uh, we provide again some of the best treats in town. If everybody's ever in town, hopefully the Big Ten, the championships will come back in town. You know, basketball, football, and everybody can come in and uh, and grab them something sweet while they're while they're in the area. Yeah, we got football there every year, and then I think basketball's coming back next year, so. Let's check it out. And is it true that one of them is like really close to your old high school? You mentioned you grew up in Indy there. Yeah. So uh, Broad Ripple uh, is a sort of an artsy uh, district of town that uh, has a lot of bars, a lot of restaurants. Uh, it also has my high school. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, being an inner city kid, I always wanted to make sure that those that um, uh, allowed me to be or were part of the vehicle that drove me to be who I am today. Um, knew that I was appreciative of them, and so um, when we first opened, you know, first you know invested in the UPS stores. That was you know the second location that we opened up was in Broward Village, and it's a very good location for us. Uh, does well, and then when the cupcake opportunity came along, there was you know a couple doors down, there was a, uh, a space that was available. So we took advantage of that, opened up a first location, um, downsized and moved up the street, but we're still in the Broward area. So, uh, but yeah, my my high school Broad Ripple, um is, uh, is very, very big in, in who I am and what I represent for the city of Indianapolis. But, uh, yeah, we try to keep a, a, a foundation somewhere uh, locally just so we can make sure we remember our roots, so to speak. Yeah, and you mentioned your sports leagues that you have a heavy hand in. I noticed scrolling through your Twitter timeline, you got a lot of pictures of uh, your kids competing in basketball games, especially AAU basketball. So how did your, your football family become a, a family of primarily hoopers, it looks like? Yeah, so um, my oldest son is, you know, he, he's graduated from Butley, played football. My my oldest daughter was not a, and she, she ran track in high school, does not um, do sports in college. My youngest daughter, Raven, um, she's a, she was, we were a track family, um, a track and uh, football and basketball, but my daughter's ran track, and um, so Raven, uh, one day in seventh grade, decided she wanted to go off for of volleyball, I guess, you know, just for, um, I, I don't want to use a, a bad term, but for uh, for giggles, and uh, she wanted to hang out with her friends. And over the last couple of years, she's developed into probably the number one or top, you know, five in the country middle uh, blocker. And so she's she's already been offered a scholarship to go to Purdue University. So the Big Ten tradition continues with her, uh, which is a great thing. And then uh, my son Miles is, um, which we feel is going to be, you know, one of the one of the best out of the group, um, just because he's just so big at his age. He's young for his grade. He's 13 years old. He's six one, 180 pounds. Um, he can handle. He can shoot. Uh, so he played football and basketball. And we just over the last, I'd say, year, 
we've dedicated a lot of time uh, in the gym um, and perfecting his craft as a basketball player. And uh, he's gotten some invites to some elite type of camps. And for me, I love basketball. When I was at Broad River, uh, I played uh, two sports, was you know, football and basketball. Was not able to develop my um, guard skills. I'm, you know, six three and a half, four six four. So, you know, realistically, I would be a guard in the NBA or you know, higher level um, activities. And, uh, and because I was the most physical and the bigger kid on the team, I always was pushed to the four, the five position. And so the smaller kids always got to dribble um, and shoot uh, more than I did. So um, football was my journey. Um, basketball was my love. Had a great opportunity to be on the basketball team at Purdue, you know, just as a, as a walk-on because I already had a scholarship. Coach Katie was, you know, all aboard. But um, my sophomore year, once Coach Tiller, I mean, Coach Coletto left and Coach Tiller came in, he – Costilla kind of vetoed it and said, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I can't have you already at 225 pounds trying to play defensive end in the Big Ten versus a guy like Orlando Pace that's 375 pounds missing the offseason program. So um, I'm kind of living my my basketball dream through my son. But um, you know, his name is Miles. He's and he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty good player. Just came back from USA Basketball Camp. So um, we're trying to continue pushing our, um, our our academic and athletic student-athletes here in the Colvin household. Yeah, in May, it's that time of year when AAU is like in full swing. I remember those days uh, from when mm-hmm. I was in high school. So um, that's interesting, though. I didn't realize you were a walk-on at, at Purdue on the basketball team. D- did you, first of all, you know, resent the fact that you had to quit the team at all? And, and do you think that that's kind of the reason why not many people people do that uh nowadays as far as like the two sport two sport endeavor uh, no I mean, I mean for me i was a full ride you know football scholarship athlete i inquired and asked coach katie if he, he was he would have been okay with if i came on to the team and coach coletto was okay with it coach katie was okay with it. but then like i said when the coaching change happened um it created the dynamic of you know coach tiller wanting his guys to be there for 6 a.m.s, you know, team chemistry and camaraderie building that, and so it, it was what it was, and you know, not a big deal. But I think nowadays um, kids are are more isolated or more focused on individual sports just because the, um, the 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 spectrum of who you can get from a talent standpoint is so much more wider. You know, before you know, 20 years ago, before social media, you know, the kid that lived in, you know, a small town in Virginia or Indiana or wherever it may be would probably get, you know, pulled for a scholarship or recognized, you know, every 20 or 30 schools. Nowadays, every kid that has an opportunity to play anywhere um, to record himself and send a video has a chance to secure an opportunity to play at a major university if they have the ability. So um, I think the, 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 the market is a little bit more saturated. And so that is, in my opinion, created another dynamic of, okay, I got to be good. And if I'm going to be good, then the extra time that I'm taking away, you know, playing another sport, I got to, you know, one sport needs probably needs to be, um, you know, for fun and a habit. And the other sport, I'm going to dedicate the additional time to train and prepare myself to be a top conditioned athlete. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, when I was reading up on you, I actually came across an interview that you did for uh, BTN probably five or six years ago. And you told the story where Indiana and Purdue were playing football. I think Indiana beat you guys, and then their fans tried to tear down. Goalposts at Ross Aid Stadium. You had to actually physically restrain them. Can you tell me about that experience? 
Yeah, so um, I'm going to put all the blame uh, on my, my defensive end mate, Chico Kiefer. This was my, um, I think it was my sophomore year. It was Coach Coletto's last game. It was a home game. We wore all black. And obviously the rivalry is what it is. Um, and uh, so uh, they they won the game, and their, their fans proceeded to storm the field. And, and so as we're walking, they're trying to tear down the goalposts, and myself and Chico Kiefer um, are walking towards, you know, the end zone to exit out, and there's fans that are, you know, attempting to tear the goalposts down. And we just, um, I'll put it like, we disagree with what they were trying to do and help them uh, proceed to go in a different direction is, is basically what I'll say. But uh, it was it was fun times, one of the great you know memories that I had as being a, a Purdue Boilermaker football player. And um, just, you know, those are, those are the things that, you know, as an athlete, you know, those are the things that you love and enjoy. Um, stories that you can tell your kids, your grandkids, and uh, ultimately um, continue the tradition of, you know, uh, the battle of the Oak, old Oak and Bucket and, and creating a rivalry as it is with Purdue and IU. That's wild that they even try to attempt to t- take down the visiting team's goalpost like that, or the home team's goalpost yeah. as their visitors. That's that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another game that stands out when looking at, back at your Purdue career uh, is what one of my coworkers is a Purdue fan dubbed the Roosevelt Colvin game. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I would assume he's talking about Michigan State. Yeah, that's the one. So tell me about yeah. that wild comeback, and uh, you know, explain your role in it for those who might not be aware of uh, what happened that day. Yeah, so I believe this was the 97 season. It was Coach Tiller's first year. Um, um, we were playing Michigan State in Ross A Stadium. Um, the guy at Alabama, what's that guy's name? Nick, Nick Saban, Saban was yeah. the coach at Michigan State. Yeah, they had a guy on the other end. They called him the specimen. Uh, his name was Demetrius Underwood. was an animal. They had guys like him um, that were just ridiculous. And they were a really good football team. Um and Brock Spack was our defensive coordinator. It was a battle all, you know, all game. Uh, Billy Dickin was our quarterback. Um, that was Drew. That was Drew Brees's either freshman. I think it was his freshman year. So he was the backup. Um, guy named Ed Watson was the running back. You know, we had a lot of guys. Brian Alford was a wide receiver. I mean, we had a lot of talent. A lot of guys that were playing well. That was the sort of the turnaround season of Purdue football to put you know put it on the map. And um, we got down a couple scores. Um, ended up being I think a couple minutes left in the game. They were driving. We ended up stopping them on third down. Uh, Coach Back called timeout, and he literally, in detail, said, "This is what we're gonna do." And he said it, and we ended up doing every single thing. He said, "The first thing we're gonna do, we're gonna block this field goal." And then once we block the field goal, we're going to run it back for a touchdown. We'll get the extra point. We'll get an onside kick. We're going to recover the onside kick. We're going to go down, drive for a touchdown, go for two, and win the game. He literally said every single word, every single step, every single moment. We go back out there. Um, they attempt the field goal. I think it was either Leo Perez or Greg Smith, but they were playing D-tackle, blocked the field goal. I picked it up. Um, you know, ran it in. I think it was maybe 60, 70 yards is what I had to run. And people say I was running slow, and I have to I have to make sure I always put this um, this asterisk in there. Coach Tiller's first year, he made all the linemen, regardless if you were a defensive end, defensive tackle, offensive lineman, wear knee braces. And obviously, he was trying to keep everybody healthy. But um, if you if anybody ever wore these knee braces or anybody ever has ever worn a brace on their leg, they understand the dynamics of how it restrains you. So I put that caveat in there to let everybody know that I wasn't running slow. I was just restricted. But um, we blocked the field goal. I scooped it up, fortunately, ran it back for a touchdown. We get the extra point. We go kick an onside kick. I believe John Reeves recovers the onside kick. 
Um, the offense goes out. Billy Dickin uh, ends up giving the ball to Ed Watson for the score. I can't believe we, I, don't, I can't remember we went to went for two or not. Somebody scored, and then we got went for two and got that. And uh, ultimately, um, they got the ball back and didn't score again, and we won the game. Half the stadium, probably over, I'd, I'd say three fourths of the stadium left. But uh, it was just one of the one of the special moments, greatest comebacks. Um, it's a classic. It's a ESPN classic. Every time Purdue and Michigan State play, they always run it, and uh, it's just uh, it's been one of the, um, the one of the fond memories I've had as a as a Purdue football player. I, I tweet it out and replay it every year too as well because it was a special man. My bonds with those guys on that team um, are are different, um, and and I really enjoy the time that I had there in West Lafayette. Yeah, that's a great story. You can kind of compare, uh, or at least use another excuse. Not just the knee pads, but the shoulder pads back then were huge. It was like cinder blocks on you guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the um, what the thought was, but I mean, I was, you know, at that, you know, that 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 era in football, you know, big shoulder pads was, you know, was you need to have these to, if you play this position or this or that position. But um, man, had I known that I didn't need them um, or didn't want them, uh, you know, I probably could have had about 10 more sacks every season because I would have been lighter and faster. But uh, great times, man. We look back at those old pictures all the time um, and, and just laugh. And uh, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a great opportunity to reflect on what was done, but um, the, it continues to create that unique bond that we had as, as a football team. All right, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about your NFL career, uh, especially being here in Chicago and you, you getting drafted by the Bears and really emerging as a solid linebacker on uh, on that franchise and, and – you had a really breakout year. Um, there was a 13-3 and year for the Bears. I believe that was 2001, uh, sandwiched between uh, a couple of down years. So what, what was playing in Chicago like during your first few years in the NFL, and how did you emerge to become a major contributor? Uh, for me, it was great, man, because, you know, um, the, guy by, the scout by the name of Jeff Shivers was the, the scout that – um, that he tells me all the time, every year or all the time that he jumped up on the table and said, "Man, you got to draft this guy." Um, I got drafted in the fourth round by the Bears. Got got drafted low because of you know in the Alamo Bowl, you know my senior year, the whole Drew Brees coming out party game. Um, I broke my wrist and dislocated my shoulder, so I wasn't able to go to the Senior Bowl. I had to have surgery on my wrist, so I think my stock kind of dropped a little bit. And then I'm not a big tester. I don't test well. I didn't run the forty well. Didn't bench press well. So I'm a real genuine kid that you got to watch me on film to to like me and so there was one team that, that felt that way and they felt that way about me in the fourth round it was dick duran's first year so we had a really big draft class we had like 13 draft picks and all of us made the team and they kind of pushed a lot of the older guys out um we came in you know i was playing behind some guys a guy named rico mcdonald which is um which is a great guy he, he has a twin brother both of them went to notre dame his twin brother go. It lives here in Indianapolis. Um, but uh, Rico was great. Barry Mentor was the middle linebacker, um, and then a guy named Sean Harris was a weak side linebacker. And they drafted three linebackers to go with them. You know, myself, War Coleman, and Kari Samuel. Um, so our rookie year was a grind. Our our our, our uh, position coach was Dale Lindsay, which was the guy that was made Junior Seau who he was in San Diego, um, and then. Um, it was just a it was it was a marathon i mean practices were hard we all three of us said man we probably only gonna play three years because this is just too much my knees were hurting every day um so after our rookie year which was really bad i mean we had you know quarterback situation was bad defense was bad everything was just bad i think we i think we were like four and twelve um the next year um, and I was playing outside Sam linebacker, strong side linebacker. The next year they drafted Brian Erlacher. And so 
when they drafted Brian, they immediately penciled him in to play Sam linebacker um, and, and put him in front of me. And that kind of, you know, that kind of lit a fire under me a little bit, or kind of irked me some because, um, you know, obviously he's a first-round pick, kid had talent, and we see where he ended up um, going. But at the end of the day, um, I, it kind of changed my, the dynamics of how I looked at the game. Um, that second year, I ended up beating Brian out in camp as a starting Sam linebacker for the for the Bears, and I tell him all the time. I told him at the Hall of Fame induction, I'm, I'm the reason why you're here in the Hall of Fame because if it wasn't for me, you'd still be playing Sam linebacker. You'd be some sap that, that never really did anything. But um, and, and so I, I had uh, I had progress to the point where I you know got the starting job. Ended up tearing my MCL midway through the season, um, so the, 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 my second year was okay, and then came back the next year. That was really the first opportunity that I had to develop the role or be in a role that I was at Purdue, and I got to rush a lot. Um, our defense was really strong. Brian was playing really well. I was playing well. Warwick was. They had a guy named Mike Brown that was really good. We brought in two guys, two behemoths, Ted Washington and um, – and, uh, Man, I can't remember. Was it Trailer? Ah, Keith Trailer? Yeah, Keith Trailer. Yeah. Keith Trailer came in. We had Philip Daniels on one side. Um, we had Brian Robinson on the other side. We had. Um, and we had just. It was. It was literally defensively. We were really, really um, talented, and it showed. We were a defensive team. Uh, you know, we were doing really well. Brought back the whole mantra of the monsters of the midway. And I had, I think, 10 and a half, maybe 11 sacks that year, made plays. Um, and so that was the coming out party. And really what, what what it was all about was I was a young kid, you know, myself, Ward, Brian came in. He was a young kid. And we were just trying to make names for ourselves. And that, you know, Mike Brown, there was a young core on the defense. And we just had so much fun being around each other. You know, our families were around each other, our girlfriends at the time, kids, you know, if we had them. And uh, it just created a great environment for us to enjoy the game. And then that really was the turn where we figured out, you know, at that age that, man, we probably could make a little money, you know, if we play, if we played a little bit longer. So um, made a decision to, to push a little bit harder. Um, and the next year, obviously, our team record wasn't as well. But, you know, personally, my production level stayed, you know, up high. I think it recorded another double-digit sacks. And then the infamous checkbox situation uh, happened, and that created a dynamic of me, you know, being able to leave in free agency and go, you know, sign with the Patriots. Right, and uh, I want to back up to the 2002 season a little bit, the, the year where you guys uh, fell off from from the great year in 2001. You guys uh, had to play in Champaign because Soldier Field was under renovation that year, and, and I'm from Champaign, um, grew up there, and remember when you guys came that year and played, and, and I'm just curious because I'm thinking, like, as a Bears fan and and uh, growing up going to Illinois games, I'm wondering what that process is like, just driving down from Chicago or, or however you guys managed it. What did you guys do, and how big of a, a drain was that on the NFL franchise having to play two hours away? Yeah, it was. Um, in my opinion, it was a grind. Um, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, it would have it would have had to happen regardless. At some point, I hated that it had to happen. You know, my last year there, but you know, it is what it is. But. Um, it was it was a it was an away game every weekend. We didn't play in Soldier Field at all in 2002. Um, we basically got on a 30 minute flight. We drive to you know we drive to the airport, get on a 30 minute flight, land, stay in a hotel. I can't remember the name of the hotel, but it was like I, if that hotel is still standing, I'd be surprised <laughs> because they still had what we used to call like the the bedspreads that you would see in like a motel, like the flower bedspreads. They had 
um, rotary phones in there, the TVs you had to change with your hand. It was like, man, this is we can't be we can't be the Chicago Bears. We got to be like the Gary Bears or something like that because <laughs> then we are staying in places that you know, you know like a five star hotel wouldn't even look at. At the end of the day, um, we we you know pushed through the season. It was not a great year. I can't remember if they let Coach Duran go that year or the next year, but um, you know I. Um, I ended that season. Uh, it was a, it was a rough one because there are a few times that again we didn't play well all together, and so guys were getting benched. You know, guys were getting taken out of the game. You know, you know people were arguing with each other. It just wasn't a positive situation. Um, the quarterback situation on offense that was it had a lot to do with it. And I think the way the offense was running, but we didn't play well on defense either. And so um, it just you know it, it was it was a grind. It was a really 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 hard grind. Kind of took the fun out of the previous year because. The previous year we went to the playoffs. We were, the, I think, we were the one or the two seed, and the Eagles came in and beat us. And that whole situation, because you know, because Jim Miller got knocked out in the first quarter of the game, and we just couldn't hold on to, to move on to the next round. But uh, it was uh, it was unfortunate that we couldn't capitalize the next year on that. And um, you know, the guys went their different ways, and the team broke up. And that's I think that's when that began the the Lovey Lovey Smith era. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned the hotel situation because back then, like, 2002 Champagne is very different than, than 2019. Like, they've built up the city quite a bit. Same with uh, same with West Lafayette, you know, if you've ever been back to mm-hmm. back to Purdue yep. in the last decade. Um, yep. And they actually have real hotels there now, which is funny. Um, well, the, the, ho- the hotel was right next door. It was in the same parking lot or across the, park, across the street from uh, Steak and Shake. So if that Steak yes. and Shake is still there, it's whatever hotel was is literally – a two-minute walk from there. I don't know if they they torn that down or at least remodeled it. I hope they've done that. Yeah, I know. I know exactly where you're talking about. It was like a McDonald's right there too, and all that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember go, uh, that year, like it was crazy because Tom Brady and the Patriots came in for Sunday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre mm-hmm. and the Packers came in for Monday Night Football. It was just wild to have them uh, in town. And, and that Tom Brady squad that I think won in a pretty close game um, that ended up being your future team. Uh, you you left the yeah. Bears to go to the Patriots. So what I need you to do for me on this this podcast is kind of humanize the Patriots for me, like the whole Belichick and, and Brady dynamic. Because to an outsider, they just seem like the evil empire. You know, they've been doing it forever. <laughs> give, give me the human side of these guys and uh, tell me about uh, Bill and, and Tom and, and what they're like. Yeah, the um, I would say you know Bill is by far the greatest coach. Um, I would say in any sport you can compare it to, um, just because of the dynamics of what he's gone through, the different eras that he's coached in, different organizations. I think he's been very fortunate to have a guy like Tom Brady, which, you know, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time when it comes to quarterback play. Um, but I think um, he is the ultimate master of getting the most out of everyone in every situation. Um, at times he can out, you know, outthink himself, but I think he's, you know, had a lot of guys – I try to throw myself in there, but a lot of guys that are on the field coaches, you think about who he's had on his roster, obviously Tom on offense, uh, a guy like Randy Moss. Um, you think about you know the guys at running back that he's had, like a Kevin Falk, um, to you know guys at wide receiver now with a Wes Welker to uh, um, a Julian Edelman. And then you go to the defensive side of the ball, which I think his M.O. is. Um, you look at the Hall of Famers that he's coached or potential Hall of Famers, guys like Richard Seymour, Mike Vrabel is the head coach now. Um, uh, uh, Rodney Harrison, um, Teddy Bruschi, you know, the guys that I play with all the way down to Ty Law, to all the way down to the guys that are playing right now, 
it is just amazing to me to continue to see how um, they roll uh, every year the same way. And I and I have hands-on experience and understand why. And uh, for me, it was um, six of the, I would say, the greatest years of my career because we were so successful, uh, never had a losing season. Um, went to the Super Bowl, you know, I was on, we're on Super Bowl teams three times. Um, but it also was, um, you know, six of the most stressful years of my career as well because um, it is a grind to stay on top. And the way Bill manipulates, continues to try to motivate guys to be the best um, is the reason why they're where they are because if you just take one step backwards, you know, it's going to cost you potentially your job. And so for me, while I was out there going in as a big free agent, I mean, I was the biggest free agent signing in Patriot history, you know, when I got out there on my deal when I signed in 2003. And uh, to go and break my hip, uh, was very fortunate that Mr. Kraft and Bill stood by the contract, you know, the next year. Not that they could have cut me and not, you know, and money wouldn't have, would have been not flowing, but to allow me to rehab, to get myself back to the point where I could play. I ended up starting, I think, you know, some of the games the next year, starting in the Super Bowl, you know, my second year out there, and then becoming a eventual starter. Um, it's not about um, anything other than winning, you know, the championship out there. And, you know, if you got a guy that, is a monster and maybe the greatest of all time, be ready to be a decoy because uh, if the other team thinks you're a monster, they're going to send more people at you, and that's when Bill's going to send somebody that they don't think is a monster is going to be the star, and that's where everything kind of balances out. And um, people see on TV Bill's you know, demeanor, his responses to the media, and um, if they knew him personally, if they had a conversation, if you're a football person, you had a conversation with him, it'd be one of the greatest conversations you ever had because – He's a, he's a good guy, um, and uh, what he's doing is he's trying to keep his team focused on the task at hand, and if he can take any of that, deflect any of that to him to keep it off a player that may have an issue off the field or may have something that may be struggling on the field when it comes to his performance, if he can take any of that heat to get that guy back up and running and going in the direction he needs it, he's going to do that. And um, I was, like I said, I witnessed it firsthand. It was, you know, six great years of, of football for me, and um, a lot of great friendships, um, a lot of great relationships, and still to this day, the way I, you know, participate and coach and do certain things in my life, you know, have, has has a lot of effect on me in those areas as well. Yeah, it's crazy what they've built, and and it's still you know humming along, coming off that uh, sixth Super Bowl this this past winter. Um, one more question about your Patriots days. And it's kind of timely because you talked about your hip injury and a uh, switching sports, but but a point guard on Iowa, uh, Jason Bo- or Jordan Bohannon, just recently was announced that he had a hip injury and he might miss all the next season. So I definitely wanted to ask you about why hip injuries in particular are so devastating and what it's like going through the rehab process. You mentioned kind of being bedridden and getting down. What's just the entire experience like knowing that you know he might not have the same exact injury as you had but just in general the nature of that beast um well i think it's a major injury just because people that don't play professional football you know um specifically someone that is older or elderly is is a is a major setback in their life so if you're a middle-aged person that you're you're what you do on a daily basis is is running and cutting and planting if you have issues with you know, sustaining your power for an extended period of time or having power at all, um, 
it, it creates a problem and you you know become a liability from a performance standpoint and so for me you know going through that whole situation uh it was just it was just scary just because i didn't know you know i've always um been an athlete and been able to do been able to recover you know i dealt with a shoulder situation end up eventually having surgery with that but something that deals with my lower extremity you know like a knee um, or a hip as we're discussing you know creates a, another dynamic of you know what am i going to be able to do and i still have issues to this day that you know limit me in certain situations um or cause me to have to to make certain type of arrangements but um it just you know it's a it's a dynamic that you know until you with any injury until you get back out there and you still and you get back into the flow of what you were used to doing or had been doing before uh, you never know what you know what what is going to happen to you, and you never know what the outcome is going to be. And so, um, hip injuries can be really challenging. They've made so many strides when it comes to the the, the medical treatments, the, med- the 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 procedures that you can get that allow guys to you know to come back and not really have a much any much of an effect. And um, you know, at, at 41 years old. I've already had my hip replaced, and, um, and and I feel better now than I did before I had it replaced, and I wish I would have done it sooner. Um, but, again, I still have situations where, you know, I feel the weather coming in because my joints are swelling up. Um, so it's just a dynamic of, of um, or, or a, a side effect of, of being a professional athlete, and uh, that's the risk you take when you sign up for it. Um, you just hope that you don't have too many of them when you go through the process. All right, I appreciate that insight. And uh, last question Roosevelt, before I let you go, I'm just curious as a guy who lives in Indy, played for the Bears, played for the Patriots, you know, has, has kind of roots in different places, which NFL teams do you follow closely or root for these days now as an observer? You know, it's, um, you know I have ties everywhere. Like my, my roots, my parents are from Texas, so, you know, I watch the Cowboys and the Texans a lot just because I grew up, you know, thinking about Tony Dorsett and um, all those guys when I would go down home to visit my, my, my cousins and my family members. Um, the Texans obviously, you know, have ties with them because they're in Houston and families there. But you know, the guy that gave me my scholarship to Purdue was Rick Smith. He was the recruiting coordinator for you know Indianapolis when he was at Purdue after he had you know um, become a coach. Um, and obviously, if nobody knows who Rick Smith is, he um, left Purdue, uh, went on the. Um, to, to, to join sort of the scouting department with the Broncos, I believe, got to the higher, highest point there. The Texans, when they became a franchise, hired him over to be their general manager. Uh, Rick's wife passed away um, recently, um, uh, so continue prayer for him and his family. But uh, Rick Smith, I watched them because he he's still there in some capacity in Houston. Um, I was a Colts fan growing up. I, I worked uh, in the old RCA dome. Um, when it when the when the Colts played there, uh, I made a cotton candy. If anybody if anybody went to a Colts game in the in the in the 80s and 90s uh, with Eric Dickerson, Jim Harbaugh, and Jack Trudeau and all those guys, and they ate cotton candy, I was the guy that, that made the cotton candy for them. There you go. Um, so so the RCA Dome and the Colts. I obviously was a Colts fan growing up. Would have loved to play for them. Didn't get the opportunity. Um, but for a few years here in Indianapolis, I did the Colts pregame show here on a local network. Um, um, here every every year and covered them. So I, you know, I watched them because they're the local home team, and then obviously the rivalry with New England that always is there. Um, 
and then the Bears, I watched them because they're they're my foundation of who I was as an NFL football player. Um, always cheering for them. It's a hundredth year um, uh, they're celebrating this year, uh, so there's a there's a there's a big celebration. I think the first weekend and the second weekend in June that's up in Chicago. So I'm trying to get try to get up there to attend to that, and then you know obviously watching the Bears uh, because I mean not the Bears but the Pagers because of you know my six years that I spent out there. You know, with you know Bill, Mr. Kraft, there's only one guy left playing on that team, and that's Tom. But um, just to continue to watch to see them and see, man, are they going to do it again? And uh, it, it's uh, it's been a it's been a great opportunity for me to sit back and become a fan. My family, my family's a big fan. We always get you know get rolled because you know we're Patriots here in Indianapolis. But uh, it's a, it's a good situation for us. All right, for sure. Well, I appreciate you giving me so much time today. Roosevelt, it's been cool because I remember my first Madden video game I got, and I would always play with the Bears. You were that uh, that linebacker that I, I always played here. So it's cool to chat with you now, uh, all these years later. And once again, I appreciate you taking some time. No problem, man. Anytime. Um, love the Big, big Ten Network. Um, like I said, my daughter, in a couple years, she's on her way up there to West Lafayette. So I'll definitely continue to be watching. And uh, hope I got a, a class of 2023 uh, participant that will get an opportunity to be a divisional athlete as well so um, you gotta keep up the good work obviously I did you know did some analyst work for, for BTN for a few years there with, with, uh, with college football as well so um, always around and uh, always prevalent so you guys keep up the good work and uh, help us those help, help, help us to, help, help those of us that don't have um, 24 hour access because uh, I use the app all the time to watch games absolutely yeah well uh keep doing our best and we'll be following uh your kids as they come up and, and maybe coming through uh these halls one day no problem man thank All you right. appreciate it appreciate it alright thank you once again to Roosevelt for taking the time really appreciate him jumping on giving me a, a ton of time and a ton of insight in his life and, and playing days and uh always like catching up with those memorable names in, in Big Ten history and uh and NFL history and especially someone who's, who's brushed shoulders with some of the greats of all time, like Erlacher, Brady, Belichick. Cool to hear about personal stories um, behind his experiences. So thanks once again to him. We'll toss it over now to our Call for the Culture segment. As I explained at the top of the show, if you've not heard this segment already, something we've been doing for a few months now with our producer, Colleen Degnan, talking about the intersections of sports, pop culture, entertainment, all that good stuff. Um some harmless banter, some, some funny stuff that I hope, you, uh, hope you'll enjoy, and um, we'll get right into it. It's our Call for the Culture segment with Colleen, and it starts right now. Okay, we are back in the lab with another edition of Call for the Culture with Colleen, our co-host. Colleen, how's it going? Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, happy Memorial Day weekend. We're recording this on Friday ahead of a long and hopefully uh, relaxing Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I don't know about you, I'll be in the office most of the weekend covering this Big Ten baseball tournament. What do you have planned? Thrilling baseball. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'll be seeing the parents. So it'll be a nice, relaxing getaway. Maybe some thunderstorms. Hopefully not. It's and been a weird spring, yes. like even more than usual. I know we talk about weather kind of as small talk on this podcast, but it's been very up and down in Chicago you know, even more than usual with the temps wildly uh, oscillating, what's the word, you know, varying 
going from like 41 day to 80. I know like the spectrum is unreal. I know people listening to this are like, yeah, that's Chicago weather. I think it's been a little weirder than usual. This but year. the good days are amazing. Like yesterday, got my first beach volleyball under the belt. It makes it you appreciate weather. nicer weather more. That's what I tell people when they're like, oh, how can you deal with Chicago weather? I'm like, you appreciate the good days more. When you're put through the bad days. No, I think we actually just have amnesia as soon as it gets warm. We're like, oh, what winter exists here in Chicago? But (laughs) whatever. Here we are. Big news this week in Big Ten world. Um, Huge news. We got a new basketball head coach, Jawan Howard, was just hired. uh, I think Wednesday was the official announcement. The rumors have kind of been swirling for a number of days. But Jawan Howard is replacing John Beeline. Your thoughts? I think it'll be awesome for Michigan. The fact that an alumni is coming back to coach, I think it's going to be really exciting. Obviously, there's been some good headlines that it's going to reunite the Fab Five and all of that hoopla. And I haven't really seen anything negative yet. What about you? Yeah, I think any Michigan basketball fan will admit that there's definitely some risk there. Uh, hiring Jawan Howard, I, I like the hire. I think he was the best guy they were going to get right now. Um, it seemed like he was the best candidate. But... Every Michigan fan, I think, will admit that it's, there's just a lot of uncertainty because he hasn't been a college right. or a pro head coach. You know, he's right, just obviously, assistant. obviously, I don't think he'll have much trouble recruiting. He's very plugged into um, today's athletes because he was an NBA player in this decade, and he's connected to a lot of uh, current and former NBA players. And, and he's got that clout. He's got connections with LeBron, with Dwayne Wade, with his Fab Five guys, with the University of Michigan, and. You know, I, I'm kind of going into this blind because I, I don't know all that much about Juwan's coaching ability beyond beyond that. I don't know what an NBA assistant is really responsible for on, yeah. on the bench and what he did with the Heat um, under Eric Spolstra. And I feel so, like it kind of comes down to how much the style of play can correlate from the league to college. And it's just interesting because, you know, Beeline was pretty much the complete opposite of, um, of Howard. You know, he worked his way up with uh, different stops along the way. He was a proven college coach, and his style, I think, is going to be different um, just recruiting-wise. I, I assume Howard will, will maybe swing bigger with some of the recruits trying to get McDonald's All-Americans, trying to get uh, big-name guys, and that's not to say he won't develop guys like Beeline did, but I think that was kind of the sentiment when you hear for guys like Jalen Rose and uh, Jay Williams, who was not a, a Michigan player, but uh, obviously plugged into the scene. They were saying, well... You know, he never got um, – when they were talking about changing the culture, they were saying Beeline never got those highest-ranked players, which I don't think was an issue. Uh, I think Beeline just did, did just fine without it. But obviously there was some desire from the Fab Five guys to bring that culture back. Yeah, and it's obviously going to be really hard for anyone to be Beeline's following because mm-hmm. he already had such a great backing in Michigan. But I think out of anybody, somebody that went to the school already has really good connections with the booster – Boosters, alumni, and like you said, big names. So should be good for Michigan. I'm just in- intrigued to see how it goes. I, uh, I think it'll be fascinating and a steep learning curve. I mean, the, people like Tom Izzo and Matt Painter and all the experienced coaches the Big Ten has are not going to uh, obviously wait for anyone to play catch-up. So uh, he's going to be learning on the fly, kind of thrown into the deep end, and it's going to be fascinating. He's got big shoes to fill, like you said. Um, moving on to... The pro game, I know, I know we just talked about it a little bit. You had something you wanted to get off your chest. I wasn't aware of this, but uh, well, something with with the Currys being in the news, it seems like all the time lately. R.I.P. the Rip City Trailblazers. We're, we're done. Yeah. We lost. We haven't covered that yet. But uh, we were swept by Golden State. So, obviously, 
my fandom is going to stay staunch throughout the coming years. I thought it was the first first year under my belt as a fan. Was it your first full year? First full year as a Blazers fan. Went pretty well, but yes, they were swept by Golden State. And following, I just became obsessed with the Currys in this entire series because of the brothers playing against each other and Dell and Sonia being the most supportive parents, sporting both of their sons. But then following the last game, Aisha Curry was getting trolled on the internet by a fan calling her son overweight. Just one fan or like a lot of fans? Well, it's like a lot of people started to like latching on to this, but her, How old's her son? 10 month old Cannon, oh. their youngest boy, their family's already so cute. They have three kids now. And she was saying somebody like in her Instagram comments asked if she was pregnant again. And she was like, absolutely not. My son is breaking my back crying emoji face. And one of the comments was, if that kid is 20 pounds, he's got some serious health issues going on. Did she respond to it? Or is this just a random She's, comment you're picking up? No, she responded saying no. Like, no to you. Like, are you kidding me? Like, she was very classy about it, but just like, why are you coming at me? Like, you can't, I, this is ridiculous. I can't, yeah, I can't take a lot of internet comments seriously. If I was like a parent or somebody with that high of a profile, I think I would just deactivate the comments. Because people can be so mean with the an- anonymity on social media, and uh, obviously the Currys are the example of a family that has everything, and people are going to try and tear them down. Just like we saw with her in the news uh, a few weeks ago with her comments about, um, you know, on being married, and, and we're not going to get into all that, but people were just trying to use any reason to, to pick at the Currys, and, and it's just the um, outcome, I think, of being a family that everyone perceives as being very yeah. desirable. You like know, you like have the spotlight, they're jealous, and yeah, I completely agree. So I just thought that was a little bit ridiculous, but definitely making... Uh, but that didn't bother you as much as the Blazers losing, right? Obviously <laughs> not. I'm just saying of... I, I Obviously, Steph's amazing. I mean, and so I'm a big Curry fan in general. In but. all seriousness, though, it was a good run for the Blazers. We kind of became an unofficial Blazers podcast. Oh, I absolutely made sure of that. And I did not expect them to go this far... But we kind of followed them the whole way, and they became quite the story, even though they ended up getting swept. I, I knew it wasn't going to be much of a series, but I did uh, root for them you know, to at least make it competitive. It was crazy how they were up double digits. 15, 15, half, 17, 15, of, every game. Games two through four. Or was it every game? Yes, they had the lead. They, the, you just knew Golden State was going to, in the end, come out on top because that's what they do. They toy with They're you. They're just so efficient. And they choose the right shots. They make the right shots. But yes, in every single game, actually, the amount of minutes total after the series was done, the Blazers led more than the Golden State Warriors. I like these Warriors better than what? Without the KD, KD Warriors. Yeah. It just feels like the Warriors that came up and were likable and were fresh. And I think the ball moves more freely without KD there. Like, it let a lot of other players have some fun. Yeah, obviously, he's a, KD's a great player, but... Um, We've talked about it. I've soured on his whole his whole shtick after going to the Warriors and ring chasing, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I enjoy these Warriors more. And, and, you know, obviously don't want to wish injury on anyone. But um, with KD out, the other Warriors have stepped up. And now we'll see who uh, who represents them. It could be decided by the time this podcast comes out. Yeah, because, yeah. And that, the and Bucks and Raptors. I was going to say, so it'll, it's going to be interesting to see that series play out right now. What, the Raptors are up one game, 3-2? Three two, yeah. So game six, I believe, is tomorrow, and then and if it goes to a game which, seven, it'll be Monday. And we have to talk about the biggest storyline of that series. Yeah, following it's not a player. No, it's all about Drake. He's my Classic. dad, Drake. 
Jersey Drake, Aubrey Graham, who is the Raptors ambassador slash number one fan. Um, he, he gets a lot of camera time. So much camera time. It's a lot of social media buzz. Low-key a lot of bench time with rubbing nurse's shoulders. Yeah, he rubs the coach's <laughs> shoulders. He's got his courtside seat. He's got a lot of criticism and a lot of praise from um, people, depending on your stance on, on celebrity fans getting involved. It's kind of like the next version of Spike Lee. What are your thoughts on on Drake's antics? Oh, I mean, I'm all for it for him. Like, he's loving it. Like, just because he's also known for his curse, you know what I mean? That let him have this time. As long as the team that he's supporting isn't asking him to not and he continues, then you know what I mean? It's almost one of those things, like, how do the Raptors, could they even ask him to stop if they want? Like, I don't think, I think he's in the position of power here. Like, even if there's people the Raptors are like, eh, that's a little over the top, I doubt anyone's going to actually say, hey, man, chill out. But, like, I think he has – he's enough of a social phenomenon and, like, leader in that that I think he'd have the social cues to pick up if they were not enjoying him. He would know how to back off. Well, if But he's knows, definitely doing his job with annoying knows, Coach Bud. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a big Drake stan. Uh, he's my favorite artist, my favorite rapper slash entertainer. So it's going to take him doing something really weird and bizarre <laughs> for me to actually call him out. So I'm going to keep saying uh, doing what you're, do what you're doing, Drake. Uh, I rock with you. So you Don't would, let anyone – don't let, don't let anyone shame you out of being a fan. And honestly, I'm not going to blame Drake for this. This is all part of a bigger issue in NBA games that actually my, my real dad, not Drake, my, my uh, celebrity dad, my real dad put me onto a while ago, and, and I agree with him. Um, the seats are too close and, and too um, in the action at NBA games. Really? Like, look at the courtside seats. Compared, I love it. compared to the NBA bench, right? No other sport are seats like this where you can actually reach out and like pretty much touch a player and get involved in the action. The seats at NBA games are literally at mid-court almost, and the NBA benches get pushed into the corner. So you've got like seven-foot-tall dudes hunched around, around the corner, curling around the baseline. And it, it's just insane that we have, honestly, fans sitting next to coaches. Like literally, they'll put the seats <laughs> right up just so they can make money up against the coach's bench, and it makes no sense. Like, I, I get the financial aspect of it and, and wanting to, to make as many bucks as possible, but you know, things are going to happen like this. I mean, it's been an issue I'm for all a in while now. Like, we, we have Russell Westbrook getting mad all year at fans, it's, you know, reaching out. and wildly entertaining. Getting a grasp of him. Fans are getting too comfortable because they have so much access. They're yelling at players and, and mixing it up, and now – I don't think this is a problem with Drake's doing, but it's just going to happen when you have a, uh, a celebrity who, you know, is already richer than everybody in the building and, and can, uh, is not afraid to, you know, show support that way. And, and he, maybe a massage in the head coach's shoulder is going to happen. And it's just, it's just the natural progression. I think. Yeah, but these seats now are just becoming something else. It's becoming a more entertaining aspect. Like we've seen throughout all year, like whether it was Sophie Turner at the Knicks game or like who's Sophie Turner? Oh, she's Sansa from Game of Thrones. Oh, okay, she's married to Joe Jonas. Gotcha. Anyways. Whether it's, like, her at the next game, like, she's getting, um, like, cheered on by the crowd to, like, do hilarious things on the big, on the Megatron. And, like, last night's game with, like, Rogers and Yelich, like, kind of egging each other on. Like, all of these people sitting so close become just, like, more part of the action. Well, Jack Nicholson and the Lakers and Spike Lee with the Knicks were kind of the original, you know, like, celebrity courtside seat fans. And, like you mentioned, I'm loving what Wisconsin and Milwaukee has going on with their athletes and their spontaneous 
chugging contests that yeah. have popped up and have, have kind of gone viral on social media. Wisconsin just, um, first of all, you probably wouldn't want to go there right now since uh, Kiss FM is not playing any Drake songs for yes, the duration of playoffs. The, so Kiss FM, the affiliate in Wisconsin, right, is not? Yeah. In the whole state or in Milwaukee? Um, I read it from a Milwaukee uh, newspaper, but it's probably throughout wherever Kiss FM is. Uh, See, that's some dry radio right there if you don't have Drake on for I at least honestly a respect times an hour. that support so much. That's incredible. Because Wisconsin's unique since they only have one professional team per sport. So, like, they get their big stars, and, like, right now, like, all of their stars are, like, pretty hot. Like, yeah. Kristen Yellich. It's a great Rod- time to be a Wisconsin pro sports fan. For sure. And I mean, they've always had on. the Packers, but they have the Bucks and Brewers now. Yeah, but uh, I just think it's incredible. They're getting all of their big stars there, going all in. They now have the radio backing them. Well, like, I appreciate the radio's gesture, but uh, when their ratings suffer because they're not playing the best artists in the game, uh, they'll know what to look at and blame but themselves. However, we'll see. Back to the chugging contest that we saw on the Jumbotron um, play out throughout the playoffs. Did you see Aaron Rodgers' weak? attempt at housing a beer on Thursday night. It He's was just letting some of his other teammate, you know, get the get the spotlight. So this <laughs> kind of started with the old lineman, right? I can't think of his name. David. But he can just, you know, <laughs> guzzle him like a tank pretty much. Oh, he's like, huge. Yeah. yeah, David Bakhtika, have you seen him? Like, yeah, which any offensive lineman, self-respecting old lineman should be able to do, to be honest. But he, he does it like a champ. Who's a ham, and I love, by the way. Right. Props to him for embracing this role of, uh, you know, crowd favorite and, and Energizer Bunny. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, you got to do better, man. You're like the, the most popular guy in Wisconsin. You're basically a god in, in Wisconsin sports and couldn't even finish like half a beer. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I feel like it's a little bit on brand. Yelich finished his, right? Yeah, he did. Not I don't as think quickly. he had much going on. Right? I don't think he had much in the, in the, in the, uh, the cup either. But at least he finished it. He didn't leave any. I mean, I would definitely be on Rogers. How do you look in the mirror so after Rogers knowing side. you were on the jumbotron and you left like a little bit of liquid in your cup when everyone's <laughs> watching you? I don't know how. Because at the end of the yourself. day, I'm still Aaron Rodgers and I'm the god in Wisconsin. <laughs> That's true. Can we talk about since we're talking about Drake and celebrity fans, the other troll uh, effort from Aaron Rodgers' neighbor in courtside seats last night, Mallory Edens. The daughter of the owner yes. of Bucks? Is that yes. Okay? The owner? Yes. So Mallory Edens was wearing a shirt with Pusha T, the rapper's face on it. If anyone follows hip-hop, they might know that Drake and Pusha T had a beef probably about a year ago, and it went back and forth, got pretty nasty and ugly. So she was trying to troll Raptors superfan Drake, obviously, with the shirt. And after the Raptors won game five, um, Drake then switched his Instagram avatar to a picture of, of Mallory Eden. So he kind of got the last laugh there. And uh, I don't know if it's anything to do with the fact that, um, you know, she's a nice, you know, attractive young woman. I, I hope Drake's intentions are, are purely uh, for trolling and for the for the good of the sport and basketball. Um, but, you know, Drake, he's a charmer. I don't know Huge charmer. No, I'm, I'm a Drake fan. I think it's hilarious, this entire situation. So I don't know if he's trying to shoot his shot or not, but... Um, it's almost like these celebrity narratives have kind of run parallel to the actual series, which has been entertaining. And, so and entertaining. So have you, are you a Bucks fan now that the Blazers have, have bowed out? I'm rooting for the Bucks. I'm not saying I can take much stake, but I have a bunch of friends that are, so would like to see them get. So they're your, they're your backup team, your fallback. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the other playoffs that are going on right now, that you know, take a backseat in America, obviously, because it's not a sport that's quite as popular, but the Stanley Cup final is set. Boston and St. Louis, Blues and Bruins, 
Blues in the first Stanley Cup Ever. final for since uh, 49. Yeah. 49 years. 49 years. Like 1970, that. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been but a long they've time. They've never won. They've never, never won. Yeah, they've never won the Stanley Cup. Um, you had an interesting reference here that you dug up. I did not know this was a thing about the Stanley Cup final. That what we've got an OG Jim versus Pam matchup here. Yes, I didn't know they, these were even um, involved. These characters were even involved in in hockey or had any ties to these cities. What's the steal? What's yeah, the, so the like you said, um, I've had a lot of free time now that my uh, Blazers are out of it. So I mm-hmm. tuned into some other sports this week, and yeah, so after. The Blues were confirmed um, that they're making it to the Stanley Cup. Jenna Fisher was posting about them. Um, and Krasinski, her, like, uh, office romance... Jim. Jim. Yeah. Jumped on, and he is a Bruins fan. So now they're, he posted something like, ah, this is going to be awkward about <laughs> them, too. So now it's just turned into this hilarious little feud between Team Jim versus Team Pam. So... Jim's a Boston sports fan. Yeah, I which, didn't know that. He's a, I think I knew Jenna Fisher. He's had, from like, the East Coast, and she's St. from St. Louis. St. Louis. I think I've seen her in like Cardinal stuff before, which puke. That, even another reason why uh, Pam's the worst. But. <laughs> in this situation, though, because I simply don't want to see Boston get another um, title t- title this year. Yeah, it's 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 enough. I mean, Team the Celtics. Pam. The Celtics losing kind of ruined the potential of the the Boston Slam or whatever. <laughs> all four teams in one year winning. The championship. We've talked about how disgusting it is that Boston sports get to win every single title in every sport, um, and that their championship droughts are shorter than like the season, <laughs> like the actual fall, winter, spring, summer. We don't need to be that dead horse, uh, but yeah, I'm torn here. I don't really have a huge rooting interest, but I think uh, the Blues would be a better story, even though right. As a Cubs fan, I'm not the biggest fan of the city of St. Louis. So. Okay, that's fair. But it's always fun to cheer for a team that's never won. I know, the Bruins. Like, they're are, old vets. I mean, they haven't the, won for a few years. They're in still. the Stanley Cup final quite often. The Blackhawks beat them in 2013, I remember. So we got the best of them. But, yeah, Boston sports, as we talked about before on the show, it's enough. They've had enough success the last 10 lifetimes. And they'll probably win the Super Bowl and the World Series again this year. So uh, the Bruins and Jim do not need another trophy to hang on their mantle. Yeah, so on Monday, while we're all feasting on Memorial Day food cuisine, you can tune in. Speaking of that, I want to bring that up earlier, but we kind of moved on from Memorial Day talk. Let's get into the uh, cuisine aspect of Memorial Day a little deeper and expand it just to cookouts in general because I feel like this is a good opportunity. I know you want to test out some Instagram's new features, working social media here into the discussion. (laughs) There's a, a quiz um, format function on social media now on, on Instagram. Is that right? There is. All right. So let's ask our followers and let's discuss it now. <laughs> what are the best cookout foods or, I guess, the cookout foods you most enjoy on a day like Memorial Day? It could be 4th of July. It could be any cookout occasion, really. But since uh, since Memorial Day is on Monday coming up, let's get into it. What are your favorite um favorite foods and do you have any restrictions because i feel like <laughs> nowadays everybody's got something going on that they well you know i uh, i can't eat a lot yes. of random things there you go so I'm an enzyme you, you're gluten-free i'm gluten-free right not by choice i'm sorry to hear that i honestly couldn't imagine it <laughs> it's okay we're getting through it and i knew that because i bring you donuts sometimes that are gluten-free so what a nice coworker. maybe i did it once <laughs> you did it once so it still counts um but no memorial day weekend not only is it kicking off 
the start of like summer barbecue. You know what I mean? I feel like now's the time everyone's busting sure. out the grills. Yeah. So taking the tarp off. Yeah, it's super exciting if it doesn't rain. Corn on the cob will always be a favorite. Grilling that, really? I think it's incredible. I like. I love corn. Chucking it and then you throw it on the grill. You say, foil. You say chucking. Yeah, chuck it. Shuck. Ah, shuck. <laughs> Oh my God! It's not chucking. Wait, you thought it was chucking? The whole I time? did. It's it's you shuck the corn. Ah, whatever. Nebraska, I, ch- I chuck it. <laughs> N- Nebraska fans out there are ch- uh, punching the air right now. Um, but yeah, okay. So, so I I like corn a lot. Corn on the cob though. But I don't like corn by itself. On the cob, on the cob it gets cob. in my my teeth. It's not bad, but it's not it's my so good. Not my favorite. But you can't. So you can't do the hamburgers or cheeseburgers. Well, yes, the, I can. Just no bun. I know. So it's not complete. Yes, it is. Protein style. Okay. Fair enough. Um, or hot dogs with buns? Not a hot dog fan. How about like sausage or brats? Brats, yes. Okay. What about you? I love brats and sausage. Um, also pretty big burger guy. Any kind of barbecue. I'm just not picky, so I like anything pretty much. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what's the best. I feel like lemonade is something that like comes back during this weekend. And white I'm jeans. I'm a year-round. Huge fan of white jeans. I'm a year-round lemonade guy. Year-round? The light lemonade from Minute Maid. Get it, no. with, get it with a Jimmy John sandwich. It's better than regular lemonade. It's no. the nectar of the gods. I've I always said it. Completely disagree. I think Minute Maid probably has one of the worst lemonades. Oh, have you had the light lemonade before? Yes, it's bad. It's so good. It's no. the best. I Honestly, like... it's my favorite non it's my favorite like sugary drink. Really? Minute Maid light lemonade. Mine would be I'll Gatorade. I'll take that to the grave. Mine would be a red Gatorade. Red Gatorade's also pretty refreshing. <laughs> um, but no, fresh, freshly squeezed lemonade. If I had to pick something, I think I would go for cookout food. Probably brats, I think. Okay. Just get it's that, a nice Midwest. Get that crunch. You know, it's summer. I'm surprised you're not higher on the brats being a Wisconsin grad. Um, I feel like that's a very Wisconsin. That is a very Wisconsin thing. They're fine, I guess. I just really crave, like, the fresh, like, fruit salads and, like, the corn on the cobs, like, really good guac and chips. You're all about the uh, side dishes, it sounds like. Love the sides. Okay. Live for the sides. Fair enough. Well, yeah, like you said, Memorial Day kind of ushers in the summer. I, uh, obviously, the holiday is more meaning than that, but it is a nice... True. It is a nice gateway to the summer every year, especially here, because at BTN... It pretty much marks the official start of, like, our work summer because baseball tournament ends the day before. Things slow down a lot. It's always felt like final exams for me, um, like they did in college because it was around the same time of year. You know that there's a lot of work coming up, and then after that, that and the other side of it is a lot of a lot of free time that you didn't have before. So um, summer's coming up, and with that being said, we're going to take a – hiatus on this show because I'm going to be gone for a week or two with that free time allowing me to take a little bit of vacation. So, Colleen, what are you going to do without me for uh, the next couple weeks? Rejoice. <laughs> um, we'll miss you. Where are you going? I'm going to uh, China. I'm hopping the Pacific Ocean. Um, that's that's across the big pond. So, I guess you could say I'm going across the pond. How long is that flight? It's going to be... So, I'm going to Toronto first. Um, and... Flying from Toronto to Hong Kong, which I think is like a 16-hour flight. And I don't even know if that's like a across-the-Pacific flight or if they just fly over like North Pole. I don't even know how oh, that works. Oh, true, true, true. So that's going to be the longest flight I've ever been on by far. Probably like two times as long as any other flight I've been on. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fun going to uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing with my good friend Yu Chang. Shout out Yu Chang, who's uh, born in China and is going to be my tour guide and my translator. And 
uh, my buddy on the trip. Amazing. So it should be fun. That's awesome. So, yeah, there will not be a podcast for the next um, probably two weeks, maybe definitely one one week going to take off. But uh, we'll see and hopefully come back refreshed and uh, with some good stories to tell. Bring back some culture. Yeah, exactly. And with uh, with that said, we have to, before signing off, get into a debate that swept the office this week that I kind of instigated and that I'm going to have to actually test out in China because I'm sure I'll be taking a good amount of public transportation. Um, and this debate is whether or not backpacks are acceptable to wear on a crowded train. Bringing and, this back up. Yes. This was like the hot debate, I think, Tuesday in the office. And because I'm so you know selfish and nar- narcissistic, I brought the debate into the office from my personal commute because I think I'm not positive I had headphones in. I think somebody on the train chirped at me for wearing my backpack on a semi-crowded train saying to take it off because people were trying to get around me. And I was not happy about that because I'm a firm believer in the notion that it depends how people are situated on the train, that it should not be a hard and fast rule that you have to take your backpack off on the train. Your thoughts. And I completely agree with the chirper and think of it as remotely crowded. You do not be rude and you take your backpack off and you put it in front of you or by your feet. You hold it, it. You look huddled. I this because my stance was I get more uncomfortable by making others uncomfortable. Oh, me too. I'm like and that so too. I'm overly like ah, I'm sorry. I'll Same. take out my headphones and like try to make myself as small as possible in an elevator or Same. any public space. Same. I just think there is a uh, there's wiggle room and I think somehow for some people and not everyone I've talked to because I kind of did like an office survey, but somehow the rule which I think you might have lost the to survey be that fully transparent. I think the the rule that you should take your backpack off on the train has somehow become lumped in the category like you should not put your backpack on an open seat on the train. You should get up for a pregnant or elderly person on the train. You should get up for um, a disabled person on the train. Obviously, those are all things that you must do. No questions asked. I don't think the backpack rule falls into that category. I think there's wiggle room. And I believe that sometimes a backpack at your feet is even as disruptive or more disruptive as a backpack on your back because sometimes just the way people are situated maybe people are trying to walk by you and they don't want to be kicking your backpack as they walk by maybe there's no room on the floor to put your backpack maybe there is just the way the seats are situated uh a better opportunity to let the backpack rest on your shoulder and i will start this argument or at least i have to back up and and let people know that my backpack is not a camping backpack i'm not a uh, tourist with a overflowing huge knapsack here it's just a normal small backpack and it doesn't mean any harm and i don't think it was in anyone's way so i mean sure fair you bring up valid point i'm just also saying if i'm bringing any baggage with me anywhere it will be stuffed to the brim because i'm all about efficiency so mm-hmm. i'm carrying on a timbuktu it's jam-packed you also have a different type of bag right you don't wear well yeah if i'm more yeah I've, and i don't take public transport as much as you so true i take the train mostly. i'm walking the sidewalk plenty of space and I think this is kind of springing up as an issue. I think it's a generational gap because... Well, we disagree, so we're the same I generation. know, but I think a lot of the older people, like 30 and above, believe this because I think the backpack-wearing post-graduating college is a relatively new phenomenon. Like more well, and that's more people, frowned upon more, in more, general. Peop, more and more people just... No, but it's how it is. Like, look on that's, the I, I agree Everyone with you, in their yeah. 20s pretty Has much still wears a backpack, even into their 30s now. But I think uh, it's just kind of a, a generational gap that the older, stuffy people think... It's a hard and fast rule. 
Which brings me old and stuffy. Yeah. Can't wait to hear how our coworkers <laughs> think of that. <laughs> Which brings me uh, to my concern that I'm going to commit so many like social and cultural faux pas overseas in China. Like, you should honestly read up. Apparently, though, there I think I might be more comfortable. Well, at least my philosophy might fit in better because my friend told me that like personal space is not valued there at all. Like people back up into you on the train. Like oh. it, it's a very claustrophobic like society. In I'm getting anxiety in already. Asia. So um, at least my backpack weren't will fit right in. You should definitely read up before you go. Oh, I'm sure I'm gonna like unwillingly just insult people by accident. It's, <laughs> I apologize in advance to anyone I c- might come across over there. Can't um, wait to hear the stories. I'm before we sign off. One more one more thing I have to point out. I'm worried about missing like the NBA finals over there. I know China yeah. loves basketball in general. Like it's a very popular the sport. Time change though. But yeah, like what time is it gonna be? I feel like it's well, gonna be. It's like t- 14 hours difference. I'll have to look it up. It might work out in but your I favor. But I think it's going to be, like, in the morning. So yeah, the games will be played fine. in the morning. It'll just be a different vibe. Like, I don't know how I'm going to watch it. Like, obviously, the channels are different. Stream on the phone. Warriors going to sweep anyway, so I don't, I don't want to worry about it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if some you came back to an alter, alter universe, which happens, and that doesn't end up happening? Yeah, if I come back and just the, the Bucks or Raptors are NBA champs. We'll that would be it. wild. But come back safely. I'll try. I'll do my best. Um, don't miss me too much over here. And... I'm not sure when we'll pick this back up, but I, I can confidently say it'll be in June. Sounds good. All right. Enjoy Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy uh, holding it down here at the office without me. And uh, talk to you soon enough. Talk to you when I talk to you. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks once again to Colleen and Roosevelt for joining. Thanks once again to everyone for listening. And always a shout out has to be given to my producers, Julie Bronder and Wes White. And, you know, I haven't given them a shout out on the podcast yet, but Jordan Josellis, who makes our podcast videos each week, we put out to uh, help promote and amplify the show. Shout out to him as well. He deserves a little credit. Not too much, though. I don't want it to get to his head. So we are moving now to the end of May, getting past Memorial Day weekend. It's wild that uh, college sports are pretty much over. There's some baseball that'll run into June for the Big Ten, but besides that, it's pretty much behind us. Um, we'll keep it rolling, though, on the Take Ten podcast. Might have some gaps in the schedule uh, due to vacations or other obligations that I might have to do and um, step away for a week or two here and there. But for the most part, we'll keep it rolling, we'll keep getting guests week in and week out. And, um, you know, when college sports takes a break for the summer, we do not. So stay tuned. All right. Thanks once again, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.